Welcome to Conversations for the Animals. I am Lisa Tynan with Houston Pet Set, and today I am joined by Dr. Albert Ahn, a veterinarian who's located in New York City. So we're having a long-distance conversation, and today we're going to be talking about our senior pets, and they are the oft-forgotten animals in the animal welfare world, and oftentimes we have a, a hard time finding placement for them. We have a hard time supporting their veterinary needs and really understanding what it is that we can do for them to make their the end of their lives better. So I'm very, very pleased to welcome Dr. Ahn to our program, a first-time conversation. We're just meeting, so thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, uh, to start off, tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand you have been in practice for 25 years. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you, Lisa, for having me on your great program. I have been a veterinarian for over 25 years, and uh, I uh, work primarily with dogs and cats in uh, Manhattan. Fabulous. New York City. We're we're located here in Houston, but we have a lot of friends all over the country. And I think anything that you can tell us is going to be the same for pets up in the Northeast as it's going to be for, for our animals down here in Houston. Um, so how did you find yourself uh, focusing on senior pets? So that's a very interesting question, Lisa. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there is a large growing population of senior pets in the U.S. by virtue of the fact that America has a love affair with dogs and cats. We're doing a great job of taking care of them. Nutrition has continuously been improving. We've had all sorts of medical advances that have helped these dogs live longer. And as a result of this, we have a large population of senior pets. What comes with that is the importance of understanding that there are certain things that we need to focus on with senior dogs that you may not need to think about when they're younger, when they're young or even in their early middle age years. So that really got me to thinking that we have an opportunity to help these senior pets during their golden years live lives with a better quality of life, better nutrition, better care, uh, and thinking about them in a slightly different mindset than we do a, a puppy, mm -hmm. for example. Right. And, and for our listeners who may not know what the official cutoff is, for dogs and cats, what do we generally consider to be a senior pet? There's a little bit of controversy around that. A lot of the literature will say that at about age seven, that's when you start using the uh, language senior or older. There's a lot of gray, okay. Lisa. But uh, some of the guidelines would say seven years, some say eight years. Uh, and it also varies by breed. I mean, sure. if you look at uh, for example, a Scottish elk hound, uh, a Scottish elk hound might not be alive right. at seven years of age, right. whereas uh, you take a little Yorkie that's going to live to be 20 years of age, they're just getting going at the age of seven. So they're within some of the breed differences, if you will, the, a lot of the literature is pointing towards seven or eight years of age that you start thinking about using the term senior or 
older patient okay. in general. Okay. And and like you said, there are differences, obviously, between breeds and between species. Um, what should owners be looking for, you know, behavior-wise or health-wise that might indicate that their pet has transitioned into their golden years? Sure. Uh, I would say the biggest thing that we see in our practice is mobility. Okay. Mobility is a very, very big deal because as the joints get older, you tend to see more arthritis, and that's why it's so critically important to maintain good musculoskeletal health. And what I mean by that, Lisa, is strong muscles equal better mobility and a uh, better quality of life for these patients. Too often, muscles are overlooked, and there's a lot of attention paid to joints. Right. And that's perfectly understandable. My only point is when you think about joints or arthritis, you also need to think about the muscles that operate or are connected to those joints because we know that strong muscles equal better mobility, equal better movement, mm -hmm. even when those joints are arthritic. Right. And and obviously exercise is, is going to be key to maintaining that, um, but also nutrition and general veterinary medicine. So when... When should owners start thinking, or even our rescues who are taking these senior pets in, when should they start thinking about, I don't know, joint supplements or, or changing food over to make sure that that musculoskeletal health is, is primed? Sure. I think that supplementation should be thought of very early in the, uh, in the approach with these uh, older patients. One of the things I always tell people to do is, assess the quality of the muscle okay. in the legs. And you'll find that many of these middle-aged and older dogs have actually lost muscle. There's a term called sarcopenia, which means loss of muscle. Okay. And so if you feel that there is loss of muscle, and it's pretty easy to tell if that's happened, then using a supplement, something like a fortitropin will actually help to reverse that oh, muscle okay. loss. Because we know, Lisa, that that muscle loss has happened for one main reason, and that is decreased physical activity. So if you will, it's a bit of a vicious circle. There's less physical activity because maybe the joints are a little bit achy, and as a result, they start to lose muscle, which means that the joints are now creakier because they have less support from the muscles that are attached to them, which equals less physical activity. And so you can see there's this kind of uh, vicious mm -hmm. circle that uh, unfolds. So by using something like fortitropin, by increasing the exercise, we're actually starting to reverse that loss of muscle. We're starting to build muscle back we're starting to provide more collateral support, more muscular or soft tissue support for those tired and arthritic joints. And as a result, we have a patient that is more willing and able to ambulate or to move around, and that translates into a better quality of life. Now, of course, Lisa, I'm saying all of this in the context that an appropriate joint supplement is being used as well okay. and in some instances with severe arthritis we might even need some 
pain management as well. But so much, the reason I've slanted this discussion towards the muscles, Lisa, is Mm -hmm. that so much thought is given to the joints and joint supplements and chondroitin and glucosamine Mm -hmm. and the like, that a lot of times muscle or the health of the muscle often doesn't enter the thought process or is sometimes just innocently overlooked. So I'm just trying to bring in this equation that good mobility is the product of joints that are being managed and healthy muscles that are attached to those joints. And and obviously this we're talking about the whole animal which has to include the brain. And I will say from a, a personal experience my family growing up had a cat who lived past 20. We're not really sure how old she was, uh, but Mm -hmm. in her mid-teens to late teens, we could tell she was starting to get a little bit senile. She would walk in after she ate. She'd walk into a a cavernous room and just sort of yowl, and we would have to look for her and find her, and then she'd be like, oh, there you are, and, and come back to things. So obviously there are signs of cognitive decline. Um, When should people start looking for that? When should people start worrying that that's maybe interfering with the quality of life. Sure. So with cognitive decline, uh, some of the signs that people will see is aimless wandering and pacing in the middle of the night uh, where the dog just can't seem to get comfortable, is walking around the house without any particular purpose. Um, and is continuing to do so throughout much of the night. So that's one sign. Uh, Another sign is that the engagement, the mental engagement and the recognition of the owner or other close family members seems to be uh, not as strong as it used to be, or the dog will sometimes appear to be confused, for example. Um, Other times, the owner may see the dog staring off into space, almost mm-hmm. as if they're they're looking at something in the sky or on the wall for hours. Oh wow! Okay. On end. So these could be some symptoms or signs that hey, maybe I better get my veterinarian to look at my dog because we do know that statistically, about fifty percent of dogs over the age of 10 do have some evidence or some signs of cognitive dysfunction. Mm -hmm. What can you do as a pet owner, as a rescue, somebody caring for? We also have um, what we call our phospis fosters who take in senior pets to give them a, a happy end of life. What can you do to delay or maybe even reverse those signs of cognitive decline? So this is an area of very active research right now, and I anticipate that over the next five years, we're going to learn a lot more about canine cognitive dysfunction. There are some supplements that are out there that are based on uh, certain vitamins and certain herbal extracts that may have some protective effect for the brain Uh, Again, we need more studies to really better evaluate the efficacy of some of these products. And in the same way that I can point to a number of developments over the past 10 years in animal health, Mm -hmm. I feel optimistic that in the next few years, 
we will start to get some breakthrough products that will help with cognitive dysfunction. But in the meantime, I think the three most important things that pet owners can do is number one, go for regular veterinary checkups Obviously, or visits yes. so that their veterinarian who is trained to look for this can more thoroughly evaluate. Do we have some of the signs of canine cognitive dysfunction? Mm -hmm. And are there some dietary, nutritional, or even physical activity changes that we might implement mm -hmm. to try to help blunt or reduce the impact of this dysfunction. We know, for example, that dogs that are exercised uh, regularly throughout the day that do have some signs of canine cognitive dysfunction tend to sleep better at okay. night because they're just naturally tired, if you will, from having gone on walks mm -hmm. or, or having exercised during the day. So while the exercise may not be directly reversing the canine cognitive dysfunction, we're taking advantage of the fact that we're making the dog tired through exercise, mm -hmm. which is a good thing, sure. goes back to muscles and muscle health, and we're allowing the dog to get better sleep at night. And that can be done in conjunction with the administration of certain supplements that may also help uh, the dog sleep better at night, for example. Okay. And for my own personal, because I I tend to be interested in the behavior side of things, uh, puzzles and training, does that help the same way like a human, if you read more books or do puzzles, does that help delay that? So the data right now is pretty uh, scant mm. or sparse in that area. Intuitively, I think a lot of veterinarians do feel that activities that engage mental mm -hmm. activity should be beneficial. I just can't point to a clinical study today sure. that proves that point. But this is one of those things, Lisa, where I personally feel that it's intuitively obvious mm -hmm. that if you actively engage an older dog in a series of activities on a regular basis that do require some mental exertion, mm -hmm. if you will, it seems logical sure. that that should help to uh, mitigate the signs of, uh, of cognitive dysfunction. And of course, there's no downside to, to training and, and um, mentally stimulating. So why not, right? <laughs> I was going to say, and, and that, that mental stimulation could actually help the person too. Sure. And the, the human-animal bond, which we're always all about. Um, just as a quick check-in, so this is Conversations for the Animals. I am Lisa Tynan. I'm talking with Dr. Albert on about senior pets and aging and caring for our beloved fur babies into their golden years. I want to uh, switch directions just a little bit and, and talk about um, the animals that we have in our rescue care. And, and from both sides, I, I do want to address the folks who want to adopt a senior dog or a senior cat I said at the beginning, they're often the hardest ones to place because people think, oh, well, I'm not going to get a very long time with them. And maybe I won't be able to for they've had a whole life before me. What if they don't bond to me with the way they bonded to somebody else? So what are if I'm if I'm an adopter 
What are some questions or, or things that I should know going into adopting a senior animal? Sure. So I think part of it, Lisa, is also matching up the right type of people mm -hmm. for senior or older dogs, for example. And I think that there's a large population of people who would, are great candidates to mm -hmm. adopt uh, older or senior dogs. Um, you know, I think a not good match would be a young family that has two toddlers. Sure. <laughs> uh, that, in my mind, is an example of a not good match. Mm -hmm. But what I mean by a good match, and there's a very large bunch of them because I'm a baby boomer myself, and so there are lots and lots of baby boomers, and unfortunately, some of them are now single because maybe they've lost a spouse, sure. maybe they've had a life change, and they've gone their separate ways from their spouse, for example, and so they're they're single. Mm-hmm. These might be excellent examples of people who are in their uh, late 50s, early 60s, and are physically active, physically fit, mentally very, very alert, and are looking for some companionship. Mm -hmm. To me, that's almost the sweet spot for an adopter. Mm -hmm. um, and these are the people that uh, can go in with reasonable expectations that, all right, I'm, I'm going to adopt an older or a senior dog. And some of the questions, Lisa, that they're gonna wanna ask are, you know, number one, are there any special health needs mm -hmm. that I should be aware of so that I can be prepared to help meet whatever those needs might be? Right. Are there any special behavioral considerations that this older dog might have um, that will help me? to be a better pet parent. Sure. I think asking those types of questions and also having the mindset that as, an as a potential adopter, I'm willing to be flexible. I'm willing to put forth the effort mm -hmm. to accommodate this older dog's needs, right. whatever they might be. And again, I may be overplaying this thing here because I mean, I find that older dogs are fantastic adoption candidates because they're, um, you know, it's almost, a, to use an old expression, uh, it's basically turnkey. Yeah. They go into the home, they've, they've already got a routine, they're already housebroken, right. uh, they're already well-mannered. I mean, so much of this makes them ideal, mm -hmm. particularly for, let's say, older, single Americans. Sure. And and it can be a really good uh, pairing if maybe someone wants to be a little have a reason to go outside and go for a walk. That can be the motivation to get them back to being active. And that can help that dog. Or, or even if you take a cat for a walk, that can help them live longer. It's like a mutually beneficial partnership. Exactly. The, to your point, going back to an earlier point about muscle health mm -hmm. and exercise, uh, these older dogs will benefit mm -hmm. from having more exercise. And guess what? The people attached to that leash, invariably, they're going to benefit yeah. as well. So as you said it, it's the human-animal bond generating a win-win on both sides of the leash. Absolutely. Uh, I know having worked with some of our rescue partners and, and even in our own uh, situations, 
there are often some questions with sometimes these dogs are, are maybe street dogs who have lived a long time on the street or cats um, where they may not be spayed or neutered. They may not have had um, their regular vaccinations for their whole life. And I know that there is some, I guess debate would be the right word as to what they should, what we should be subjecting senior pets to um, in their older years. And, you know, coming from the rescue world, we want to spay and neuter everybody. Um, but I know well, at a certain age, anesthesia isn't necessarily safe. So what are some considerations from the rescue side for should we be vaccinating beyond a certain age for, you know, rabies or, or uh, DA2PP or whatever? Um, at sure. what point should we consider just sort of letting them be? Yeah. So I think that with rabies, it's a fairly uh, clear-cut uh, scenario okay. that because it is such a dangerous and mm -hmm. lethal disease, uh, in my mind, and also in many jurisdictions in this country, it is actually the law that they be vaccinated. So I think that with rabies, I can advance a fairly clear-cut case that all of these guys should be appropriately vaccinated for rabies. Okay. Now, you raise a really good point, Lisa. What about some of these dogs or cats that may have some degree of vaccination history, and so is it appropriate to vaccinate them, uh, particularly if they're very, very old mm -hmm. or infirm? For that one, I recommend doing vaccine titer testing. Okay. Because here's a case where you get a small sample of blood, get that analyzed, and if it turns out that the vaccine titers are appropriate and that there are plenty of there's plenty of protection from mm -hmm. previous vaccination, then Lisa, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. Why vaccinate a sixteen year old Carn Terrier mm -hmm. that's you know, not got a lot of time left mm -hmm. and has excellent vaccine titers? Why why vaccinate? Mm -hmm. Um if you can demonstrate that. So I always tell people, use vaccine titers to help you determine whether you need to sure. uh, subject these guys to vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, you know, going back to the fact that we, we do see a lot of, especially here in Houston, a lot of street dogs who, or <laughs> even pet animals that were pets, but were left outside uh, because that is, you know, something that happens a lot down here they probably don't have great dental health. They may have never been spayed or neutered. Yeah. Is there an inherent risk with an older animal putting them under anesthesia to address those issues? So I, my response to that, Lisa, would be it depends upon what their health status is. Okay. If they're in overall good or reasonable physical condition mm -hmm. and the blood work looks good or reasonable, the heart, the cardiovascular system is in good or reasonable condition. And other than some dental disease or other than being an intact female, you have uh, an otherwise reasonable candidate, then I would. Mm -hmm. I would definitely uh, recommend getting dental cleaning done. Okay. I would definitely recommend getting a, uh, a surgery for a spay because, well, we know that uh, these dogs are at risk for developing pyometra, mm -hmm. which uh, has its own set of potential consequences. Sure. So obviously there are a lot of things to consider, both from an adopter side and from a rescue side uh, and yeah. just from a pet owner side about, 
owning a senior pet, loving a senior pet. And, and if you've got one already in your care, you've had somebody since they were a baby, you know, you can see those changes as they're happening and you can get out in front of them. Uh, if you are welcoming a senior pet into your home at the end of their life, I honest personally, I think there's there's no one better thing you can do um, than than provide that one that gentle situation for an animal to, to leave this world. My final question, which is often a sad topic, um, is when when should people be looking to offer that peaceful ending? What should owners be looking for to think, mm-hmm. okay, now the time has come to take my pet across the rainbow bridge and, and let them go peacefully? Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it's poignant that you're asking me this question right now, Lisa, because my last appointment I saw last evening at 11 p.m. was uh, help. Oh, hold on. We lost sound. One second. One second. Bridge. So we lost sound for a second there. Oh, all right. Hold on. How about I spool up my answer? Start that answer again. Perfect. Okay. So it's poignant that you're asking me this question because that was my last appointment last evening Mm. at 11 p.m. was helping a 21-year-old cat cross the Rainbow Bridge. Wow. This was the cat that we've been managing and giving fluids to because it had kidney disease. And uh, finally, the owner came to terms with the realization that mm-hmm. really it was the right time and the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's think about that. What did what did this owner see last night? One thing was the cat was laying there and not interacting mm. at all. The cat was hiding under the bed. The cat was not eating. The cat was not drinking. The cat was soiling itself. Mm. And it became very clear for this owner last evening that uh, despite her personal wishes that the cat could live on mm-hmm. longer, she realized that the most compassionate thing that she could do would be to help her cat, uh, named Squeaky, by the way, uh, cross the Rainbow Bridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, she and I had been having a number of heart-to-heart conversations leading up to last night where she asked me, how how will I know? Mm -hmm. How will I know? And I've said to her, and not in a flip way, but in a very sincere way, I said to her, It's the same response that your parents probably gave to you when you asked the question of how will I know if I've met the right person to marry? And I understand that most parents say to their children, believe me, you'll you'll know Mm -hmm. when you meet the right person. And so I say the same thing to pet parents that you spend 24 hours a day with your cat or your dog Trust me when I say you will know. You will know when the time is right. Mm -hmm. And that's almost like the final gift that you can give that animal that has given so much to you throughout your life and throughout their life is that peaceful end. Which Exactly. And you're helping them to alleviate Mm -hmm. suffering that's going on. Exactly. 
Well, Doctor On, this has been uh, truly a pleasure, and I, I know that this will be very, very helpful information to um, everybody that listens, and I hope that our listeners and our viewers will share this because, like you said, there are so many senior pets out there in homes but also waiting for the right home to come along, and I hope this will inspire some people maybe to think, yeah, I can take on a senior pet. I can adopt a golden paw and, and give them a peaceful, loving, happy end of life that they deserve. So thank you so much for joining us. And Lisa, I'd like to just leave you with one, you and your listeners with one final thought, which is uh, I have many, I have hundreds and hundreds of pets that are rescues mm-hmm. and to a person, every single pet owner that uh, I talk to who owns a rescued pet corrects me and they say, I did not rescue my dog or cat. They rescued me. Perfect. So um, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I will tell your listeners that don't, don't underestimate that you're going to get back a lot more yeah. than you invest in that dog or cat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Dr. Ahn. And and your patients are lucky to have an advocate like you treating them. And we'll let you get back to your work, which is so important, taking care of our fur babies up there in New York. Thank you, Lisa. Have a great day in Houston. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.